Hello, and welcome to the I Found a Thing podcast, our debut episode, Sean. My name is Evan Winch, and joining me as always is my co-host, Sean Moore. How's it going? It's very good, yeah. It's going good. I'm uh, very excited to be kicking this off tonight. We've never done one of these before. And for those wondering what I Found a Thing is, it's a podcast that's going to be focusing on mostly board games that we found on crowdfunding sites, predominantly Kickstarter. We're going to be bringing other stuff like video games, anything that really cranks or fancy, but for the most part... It's all about the board games. And uh, it's a really good week to be launching this one, too. There's a lot of cool stuff to go through. Yeah, there is. Do you want to start with the Juggernaut in the room, or would you like to save that till last? Uh, let's do the Juggernaut first. Okay, we'll uh, we'll use it as the big warm-up. Everdell. It's uh, a game that was started on Kickstarter. The original Everdell was launched on Kickstarter a couple years back, and they've had a few very successful campaigns since then with expansion after expansion. And now this is the creme de la creme, I guess you could say. You've got two new expansions coming out for Everdell, as well as a big box to store everything in if you've been a backer prior to this one. And it's very alluring. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and I think I've done this with uh, other Kickstarters before. But every time you buy a copy, another copy goes towards uh, kids. There's actually quite a bit to unpack with this, both from a component standpoint and also controversy, believe it or not. This is a controversial Kickstarter. Why is that? So there are some fans that have been there since day one. They kind of feel like they've been a little shortchanged by the value of this because you can basically get everything for $200 US. And if you break down the math from prior Kickstarters, the value isn't quite adding up to be the same. You probably would have saved more if you had not backed it from the beginning and just jumped in at the last minute like this Kickstarter kind of is, which is also kind of coupled with a bit of controversy that the company um, Starling Games fell under last year when they sent out a cease and desist order to a bunch of people on Etsy who are making some custom components for base Everdell. Wow. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a little bit going on behind the scenes. In front of the scenes... It's pretty good value. Like, I can understand if you were there from day one why this would be a little off-putting. You get everything for 200 bucks. Well, this is going to sound like an old man story, but back when it was either Forza 3, I believe it was when Forza Motorsport 3 came out for the 360. Obviously, it was 60 bucks at first, and then they had the car packs, and you get buying, buying, buying car pack. Um, but just like how Nintendo would put out their greatest hits, and they do it for like half off or $20, Microsoft reissued Forza again for the $20 bundle. However, you got basically either like all the DLC or half the DLC just straight up free for $20. <laughs> yeah, so it, it reminds me a lot. Like, I mean, the one thing you can say, and, and I'm really sure I haven't checked, but I'm assuming this is one of the justifications of this is you've, because Everdale has been out for two or three years, right? Uh, yeah, I think the original Kickstarter came out in 2018. Yeah, so you've had the game for a lot longer than anyone else has. So in my mind, it's like seeing a movie. Movies can cost, depending where you live, like 15, 20, 30 bucks, or you can just wait for your streaming service to get it. Yeah. So you get, you pay the premium to be first. But I, I also understand totally being in the boat of like, well, this is in fair value. And I'm, I'm just going to speculate here, but I believe Kickstarter can allow previous backers of previous games to have exclusive pledges. I could be super wrong on that. I don't remember which game it was, but there was a game like that where um, it was actually with the company. The more games you had kickstarted from that publisher, the bigger discount you got. It was like $5 mm -hmm. for each game or something. 
Yeah, and maybe it isn't a Kickstarter exclusive thing, but there is stuff you can do. But I maybe just for them financially, it doesn't make sense to micromanage that kind of a, a situation. You're you're trying to cater to an audience of this is this is the last one they did. This was Firecrest and uh, Belfire. So there's twelve thousand backers on there. Assuming all twelve thousand backers want to do this, you'd now have to micromanage. 12,000 uh, pledges as well. I can I can see why it could be difficult. So if you're new to the board gaming scene or you didn't catch Everdell on any of the previous uh, launches on Kickstarter, it's basically going to be a worker placement game with a bit of deck management. Uh, not really a deck builder. You're drawing cards and you can play those cards, but having them in your hand isn't necessarily something that you have to do because you can play them from the little meadow area in the center of the board. Based on the one play I have of Everdell, I really wish I liked it more to get on board with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it's one of those games which is literally everything I want in a board game, and yet it just missed the mark for me, and I wish it hadn't because, like we've been saying, the value on this is so good. I want to do it, but at the same time, I also have no urge to play Everdell again. Oh, interesting. I'm really to give it one more go, and some of the things I was noticing, like um, with Train Station, like that's uh, one of the new... Uh, expansions in it um it seems to have like instant cards so mm. rather than like trying to make a bit of a machine you instantly get something and i think that can like it seems to speed things up a bit uh, especially because of those first few seasons you're you're in everdale it just seems kind of slow it feels like you're not doing a whole lot at first and then suddenly third or fourth season comes at least from the game that we played you're doing so much and you can just like keep having turn on turn on turn on turn and you're like i'm never leaving the seasons if i want which i did that was kind of the the point of frustration for me was like I ended my game 30 minutes before the final turn was taken. I'm sorry. That was. <laughs> well, it's not your fault. I mean, that's the way the game is uh, balanced to be played. Admittedly, I wasn't playing very, very well because it was a six player game and I was kind of like teaching it and trying to make sure that everything was getting wrangled. You're right. Maybe if I had played this again and because everybody knows what's going on and I'm not trying to be like the rules policeman that uh, I can just kind of relax and figure out the best combo to go from a gameplay standpoint. It's one of those things where I just kind of want to play wingspan. It has a lot of similarities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's something I'd be interested in looking at again. And, and they do some things to shake things up. Like one of the expansions uh, adds a spider mechanic and they just completely like block off the board in certain areas and whatnot. And it actually has quote unquote a bit of an AI. Yeah. The Mistwood. Yeah. Yeah. The spider moves around. I mean, that seems interesting. And then you can keep people from like constantly going after the same thing over and over again. What I like about that, too, is it's very similar to the root Kickstarter that we just saw wrap up, which is it's there to bolster the two player experience. I think you might be able to play it on more than two, but it's definitely targeted at the two player count so that you have that third AI there to take some of those spots away from other players and give you something to deal with other than just a confrontational one-on-one game. And uh, speaking of bolstering that uh, two-player experience, I got a two-player game that I'm bringing as well. Ooh. Yeah. Go for it, Mr. Segway. So the game I'm bringing is So You've Been Eaten, which is a two-player confrontational game which actually supports zero to two players. Right? Like it when a game can just play itself. The best part about it is they've really leaned into how odd that is by uh, saying that it was funded in zero to 20 minutes. 
<laughs> so in So You've Been Eaten, you are either going to play as a deep space miner or as a space beast. As the miner, your goal is to get eaten by the space beast, which just happens at the start of the game. You don't really have to do anything. And you're trying to get some crystals out of the space beast before he digests you. As the space beast, you are trying to throw uh, different digestive enzymes and viruses at the miner to either break him down or just flat out knock him off. I mean, you said that you don't need to do much to get eaten. I mean, you clearly have to set up the game. You could have it at zero players. And... Oh, that's not a good joke. I thought it was going to be a good joke. <laughs> get rid of that joke. So what makes this game kind of interesting is that um, the decks are designed to both have AIs to them. You can play um, either solo as the miner, solo as the beast. If you don't feel like actually thinking, you can have both the miner AI and the beast AI play against each other or remove both AIs and then have a player play as each character. Okay, so uh, maybe I should pitch it to them. So it's supposed to be zero to two players, right? Yes. In theory, this could be unlimited players. <laughs> Just pass your hand to the left? No, 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 no. Even better. This uh, Have you ever you've played Camel Cup with us, right? Uh, I don't think I've ever played Camel Cup. So Camel Cup is a game where you bet on camels. So it's a big race, and they have to do one lap, and you have to try to figure out who the winner is and who the loser is. And you can sort of change things up, but you can't like literally like do too much to mess things around. Like if you try to mess, like say you're going for the yellow camel, you can like try to do something to mess it up, but like really your options are very, very limited. Okay. But you're just, but the idea is you're just gambling on uh, camels. It sounds very similar to Unicorn Fever. Yeah. But like you could do the exact same thing with this game. Like you could have just like, um, this you have five people who are cheering for the beast and three people who are uh, <laughs> cheering for the little minor man, and whoever wins wins. Like like this is a good gambling simulator right here. Very salty bets. Yeah. Yes. Oh, salty bets. The art style in it in general is pretty cute. I kind of dig the art mm -hmm. style. Not that expensive either. Like base game with no bells or whistles is like thirty bucks US, twenty nine dollars. Uh, with mm -hmm. bells and whistles is 39 bucks. Basically, gameplay is going to be a lot of dice allocation, so that may be a selling factor, maybe a bit of a deterrent. Uh, you're going to be rolling dice if you are the miner. I believe the beast rolls as well. Kind of deciding what you're going to do. You're going to shake up the way that the beast's cards are coming at you so that maybe you want the gem to hit you first or maybe you want a different color of bacteria to hit you so that you don't get a stack of four because as soon as you get four of one bacteria on you your immune system can't handle it and you're dead like real life like real life four bacterias and you're you're just done for oh man it is crazy like the value in this so i'm looking at the 30 dollar pledge 240 people the premium uh, we got almost 700 and for the collector which is just 50 bucks 3,500 people. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, I'm guessing the, the basic version is what retail is going to get. I don't know who the premium is for. Maybe they'll send that to retail too, but like, it almost feels like you could cut out one of these and you'd be good. Premium is kind of where I would land if I went with this. Uh, collectors oh, yeah? is cool. I'm not a big dice tower guy, and that's one of the bigger things with the premium. You also get a triple layered board uh, with the collector's edition, which sounds cool. I'm fine with the baseboard by the looks of it uh, and then you mm. also get some custom embossed dice as well so the next one i want to talk about is also two players ragnar rocks so this is from the designer of santorini uh that was put out by roxley and i believe spin master now own has the rights to that game instead of being on roxley it's now on gray fox games 
It's very, very similar to Santorini, like the art style and even the theme. Like instead of doing Greek gods, we're now doing Norse gods, which means we're talking about Odin, Thor, Loki, Heimdall, and then a bunch of Norse gods that are really hard to pronounce. The cool ones is what I'm hearing. Yeah, you get Tur or Tyr or whatever that, like I've never seen an accent over a Y, but you know, it's there. So how does this guy differ from Santorini proper? So in Santorini, the idea is um, every time you move a worker, you place a level down. And the idea is that you want to have a worker three levels high, depending on the character that you've selected. For example, some there are some win conditions where um, all you need to do is fall down two stories and you'd win in situations like that. But essentially, you you move, you build, you can slowly work your way up. So in this, it's similar. You move, you build. Now, this is a very specific sitcom trope, but have you ever seen those episodes of certain sitcoms where you have two roommates or uh, a couple and they're just fighting over anything like we can't share with each other and then they just split uh, a line through the house? Absolutely. It's a classic. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what's going on here, except the line's not going to be even. You are making the line as it goes. So every time you move, it's in a hexagon. So you have six different directions you can go and you can go in any straight line that you see fit. Like it's not, you don't have to move one space like in Santorini. It's like any straight line as long as like uh, something's on the way. And the some things that could be in the way are other players, workers or um, rune stones. And the idea is if you, you want to use the rune stones to make the biggest settlement for your area, uh, for your players. Okay. You move your, your player where you want and then you in your line of sight can place a rune stone anywhere. So what you want to do is basically trap your opponent in the smallest area that they have. And you could, in theory, uh, trap your opponent in uh, six rune stones around them, and then they're just locked in there. And then they just can't move. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of area yeah. control. Yeah. And then there's things to get around it. Like Heimdall, if, I believe if he gets settled, which means basically trapped in there, he can jump out if need be. Oh, neat. There's stuff like that. There's others where you can play a runestone beside another runestone if you see fit. You can also play an, uh, another character that plays two runestones, but they can't be anywhere near each other. There's there's just little quirks, like Santorini. It, it looks fun. Why you would get this on Kickstarter is they're just like small little details. The one fear that I would have is when I got Santorini, I didn't get it from Roxley. I got it from Spin Master. And I mean, I can't attest to the Roxley quality, but like, I wish there was something a little bit more with the Spin Master. Sometimes the plastic feels like a little brittle. And then the rune stones they're on gray bases and they have these nice uh, blue uh, crystals on top, like plastic crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only in uh, the Kickstarter version. You can't get that anywhere else. There's a few heroes that are Kickstarter exclusive. And there's an add-on you can get, um, which adds mountains into the game. Now, I know you're a fan of Santorini. Was this an instant back for you? Because I know one of your big uh, regrets is not kickstarting Santorini back in the day. Funny enough, it wasn't at first until I noticed it, it, this one's pretty quick. This one's supposed to be out in November. So it actually makes a really good Christmas gift. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what made me jump on it. The only thing that I'm less in love with was Santorini can go up to four players. The rules change a little bit when you go to four players, but you can still play with that. This is exclusively two players. 
Gotcha. That's the one drawback. Uh, I would like to see more, but I understand like that board will get real small really fast. So I think there's no real way of doing it. Theory, you could split it up and like everyone just has one worker, or maybe everyone has uh, the the man with the beard and the ho- uh, the horn helmet. Well, actually, they all have a horn helmet. Just I was gonna say that beard. just sounds like <laughs> Norse mythology. <laughs> Sidebar. Fun fact. You know that actual Vikings never wore horns on the helmets? I did. And you know what? That's one of those fun facts I just choose to believe is a lie. That's probably it's probably a lie. We weren't there. How would we have known? That and dinosaurs having feathers, I just refuse to believe is true. I, I know it is true, <laughs> like it's been proven, whatever. I don't care. I choose to live in a world where Vikings had horns on the helmets and dinosaurs had skin. That is fair. I guess COVID has kind of gotten to us because we're just bringing two player games. Um I have another mm-hmm. two player game. Uh, mine is Caper Europe. So Caper was a game mm. that dropped in 2018, apparently won a bunch of awards. A lot of people really dug it. Uh, and then in 2019, Keymaster Games, who released Caper, released a game called Parks, which is impossible to buy. A local uh, FLG actually got some copies of Parks in. I got an email notification being like, hey, Parks is in. I went, oh, cool. I'll check that out. By the time I looked at the Parks page, it had sold out and it was like wow. five minutes. Yes. So most of their resources have gone into parks and trying to get reprintings of parks and expansions for parks together since 2019, which means Caper has kind of fallen to the back burner and isn't really out of print, but they don't have the money to put it into print. Hence this Kickstarter. So it's a bit of a reskin to a degree. They've uh, updated some of the art. They have added in some extra elements to the game and have Put it on Kickstarter as Caper Europe. What's the idea of this one? So you'll start with a hand of cards and then you'll play one and then you will actually pass your hand over to your opponent after they play their card and you get their hand. So you're slowly kind of whittling through each other's hands of cards uh, trying to build up a crew and get equipment for your crew to pull off heists which will get you points and eventually win you the game. So the strategy kind of comes down to what card is going to benefit me the most and what cards can I afford to let my opponent get because I'm literally going to be handing them these cards that are in my hand as soon as we're done playing these cards. Kind of like a sushi go mechanic. Absolutely. Other than that, I just think the art style in this one's kind of special, which is uh, why I brought it. It's kind of what caught my eye. There's a lot of really neat uh, looking characters. There's some cool gadgets. It has a bit of a kitschy 1950s, 1960s sort of spy novella feel to it, Mm -hmm. which uh, I like. I really like it when people lean into that sort of campiness of the spy genre. It kind of reminds me of, um, it was definitely the first Incredibles, I think maybe in the second, where when it wasn't uh, 3D, when they would do the stylized stuff on the side, it's that very much that kind of a look to it. I'm pretty confident that was the first one because I haven't seen the second and I rem- I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like everyone, if you, in the real world, if you have a round jaw in this game, you're going to have a nice pointy jaw. Like everything's very edged. Yes. Very um straight. Very liney. Yeah. Lots of geometry in this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they have a couple of different locations you can play in. Uh, and all of those locations are going to have different thematic ties to what we're used to seeing in heist films. Like you can go to Paris, Rome, uh, London, or Barcelona. And all of those sort of come down to what you're going to be stealing in those areas. And also sort of the pitfalls of working in those different cities. I should mention with this game and Ragnaroks, uh, you can play them both on tabletop for free. Oh, that's a good point. If you want to try it out. Yeah, good call. Yeah. 
um like he came up my radar and i was like man this is cool but i have a lot of two-player games already and yeah. that's the only drawback and again i understand the mechanic doesn't work if you have too many players in there but if i didn't have all these two-player games it would definitely be something i'd be looking at and that's kind of where i'm at too i'm in a weird place with my collection where I kind of like to add this, but I've also got uh, two two-player games in there already. I have a third one coming, which is Radlands. I kind of want to burn through Watergate and Patchwork a lot more than I already have before I start expanding that two-player count. But man, this, like, I'm very tempted. So this is from AEG, and you might remember them as they were the publishers that first put out Love Letter. They also did uh, Tiny Towns and... If you know Smash Up, they've done all of the Smash Up. This new one they have is called Meeples and Monsters. There's no decision making when it comes to the pledge. It's either $50 or nothing. It's a worker placement game. Oh, it's worker placement. I thought it was a dungeon crawler. No, I because uh, at first I looked at it too and I thought it was like, oh, this is, oh, this is co-op. It's not co-op. There is a solo mode, but it's not co-op. It's not a deck builder. It's a meeple builder. At the start of your turn, you either draw four or five or six meeples out. You start off with a few peasants and peasants kind of like in the real world don't do a whole lot they're not that great to use so you have a decision right on your first turn it's like do i use two peasants to make a building or do i use one peasant build a building and then get another peasant back and because the idea is you don't necessarily want to fill your bag full of peasants there's some synergy with peasants so it's kind of like a card drafting game but with meeples. Yeah, I think you can trade in your meeples for other little guys. So you either ha you have warriors, clerics, mages, and, and knights. And then those can also be updated to rangers, uh, shamans, and paladins, which are super scarce uh, classes you can get. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and so this is a wingspan thing, and there's a, there's a few games that do this, but like you draw missions at the beginning of the game, and it's like, oh. Yeah, the hidden objectives. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, well, I need you to either, um, you know, get 20 points on your first three turns. Like, well, that, that's going to be impossible. Yeah. And then the next objective is, like, uh, make sure that your hand is full of brutes at the end of it, like warriors at the end mm -hmm. of it. Like, well, that, that seems impossible. I don't think that's not even how I'm going to play it. And then you go around, and then you get bonus missions, and then you pick up two bonus missions and you're like oh man these are both great i could use both of them but you always you have to like pick up two and get rid of one yeah you can pick up two new mission cards they could be completely fantastic and then you discard one of the crappy ones you started off with oh interesting yeah and i thought that was a nice little touch like you don't see that kind of uh strategizing but it's cute um it goes up to four players it says 13 and up you probably get away with younger kids I'm, I'm sure they'd be able to figure it out pretty quickly it's not too complicated yeah i feel like the uh the art actually kind of lends itself to being multi-generational in that regard i didn't get the art style why i liked it so much because um when you see the art just as itself you're like oh well just kind of generic but when you see it on the meeples like something in my head just triggered and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing and i'm like why it's it, not it's just it's a uh, it just took the art and put it on the meeple i'm gonna send you a link and this is what's going on with me. It's hitting this level of nostalgia for this very specific toy I was never allowed to get. Oh. But my friend had it. I don't think you remember these. I, I vaguely know what they are. It's great talking about this photo on a uh, audiotory podcast. But <laughs> if you look up um, WWF wrestling pillows, you have these little like 
they double as a pillow and a safi. They're probably not good at either, really. But, like, I just wanted those so much as a kid. And then I see these little guys with their meeple faces, and it, and it's like, oh, it's hitting the same chord. It's a body pillow um, for an American audience is what it is. Well, yeah, and a, a little American <laughs> eight-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've gone through a lot of very economic Kickstarters. Uh, I mean, even Everdell with a $200 price tag, you're getting a lot of stuff. I'm bringing in one that is almost $200 for the deluxe edition, $110 for the base game. It's Stellaris Infinite Legacy. So this is going to be based on the game of the same name, and by the game, I mean the video game. It is a 4X space game. The thing that I'm excited about with this is it's a legacy game. Oh, it is. I didn't catch that. I love Legacy. I love the idea of Legacy. I don't love the destroying of cards in Legacy. But what I think we've kind of hit is a point in the Legacy genre where we have moved past that initial, what, you're going to rip up cards? And kind of gone into permutations of Legacy. Like Oath last year on Kickstarter is uh, was marketed as the game that remembers. So basically, whatever happens during your play session will influence the win conditions and the cards that can and cannot come out the next time you play. So even if you play with completely different people, it's going to be a different game. With a lot of legacy games, though, unless you're able to get the same four, five, six players at the table every single time, you're not going to be able to play that game. And if everyone's not in the mood to play the game, then you kind of have to put it back on the shelf for another week. Something like a Gloomhaven would suffer from that. Yeah, or like with video, because Stellaris is a video game, like, how many RPGs have um, you bought where you all want like, yeah, the four of us are going to play co-op and you all make separate characters for each other. And then like, oh, and the next week, only three of you show up. You're like, well, we can't use those characters. So we got to make new characters. And then it's constantly yeah. like like a Borderlands or a Diablo situation. We were constantly making new characters because you need the right group for the, the right characters to play with. I've played the start of Borderlands 2 about eight times because of that. <laughs> and Stellaris yep. fixes that because it actually allows you to drop in and out of the session. So if I'm at your place one week and playing with you guys, and then the next week I have somebody else over at my place and we're playing, you can have multiple different characters happening simultaneously. I don't know how they're balancing this, but they're balancing it so that you can just have a pop-in, pop-out faction. That's nice. The other thing I like about it is it is a 4X game that will take, apparently, they're claiming, two hours to play. Why do you like it? Because it's a 4X game that only takes two hours? Or it's something like media you can just sit down and be like, two-hour board game, let's go. It's the only two hours thing. Because I would love to get a bunch of people together to play Twilight Imperium at some point. But just asking Mm -hmm. people to come over and play a single game for eight to ten hours is an ask. I mean, that that's a meaty game. It's going to take us a while to get through this. Mm-hmm. So being able to say, hey, it's a regular game night that's only going to last four hours. We can play a game of Stellaris and then play another game or just go home is wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Now, with that being said, Wingspan also claims to be playable in 40 to 70 minutes. I have yet to play a game of Wingspan the last 70 minutes. The fastest time I've ever pulled off 90 minutes. Uh, what's cool about this is Stellaris, obviously based on the video game, the early bird deluxe edition, which probably won't still be up by this time it goes up. Um, you actually just get Stellaris <laughs> the game. Right? For the, yeah. 
And I thought that was pretty cool. I don't love how it's um, timed exclusive. I always feel like that ends up biting you in the butt. We're like, oh man, that that's pretty cool. Oh, it's gone. Well, I guess I won't get it then. Maybe I'll just get the base, you know? Yeah, it's a little frustrating because Kickstarter is usually pretty exclusive heavy. And if you miss the kick, which is actually one of the reasons that we started this podcast was because I missed some Kickstarters, you missed some Kickstarters. And it was like, I oh, mean, I really wish we had a centralized location to find out about these before missing them. So yeah. there's a lot of exclusivity lot to of Kickstarter to begin with. And then when you start adding in more exclusives within Kickstarter, it just becomes yeah. a little FOMO heavy. But like the, the only thing you're missing out on if is you don't get it early is you don't get the Stellaris PC game, which and instead of getting the it's a Kickstarter exclusive uh, crisis figurine, uh, you just have to pay an extra eight dollars for it, which isn't. I mean, it's a little high for one figurine, but you still have the option of getting it. You're not completely missing out. It's a pretty cool figurine. Yeah, pretty cool. Figurine. The only thing I can think of is maybe if the, the Steam code uh, for Stellaris also unlocked like uh, like a unique faction in your game. Like it, it's just the base game. It's not too, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I'm tempted. Yeah. It, it is a little pricey and I'm definitely going to want to do a little bit more deep diving into how gameplay is going to shake down. But uh, mm -hmm. as kind of an introductory 4X game, just to sort of slowly start to trick my friends into playing twilight imperium i'm here for this mm -hmm. anyway sean yeah. it's been a pleasure as always i think we should probably put a pin mm -hmm. in it there yeah probably we've been talking way too long and hopefully that will at least pull some games onto radars that weren't previously there or push people over edges into backing things that they weren't previously going to pledge i look forward to seeing what uh, pops up in the next couple of weeks so do i i'll chat with you then sir Have fun